This right here. This little gem of a podcast. This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for April 27th in the year of our Lord 2022, which is a very, very big number. Uh, we've got a whole show today of questions that you guys asked. I got a whole list of them here. You guys asked this on Patreon. You asked this over on Locals. Uh, and a couple of questions also came from uh, Substack as well. They came from all over this world of ours, and they're glorious. We got some nerdy stuff today. We're going to be talking about Wayland and BBS tips, <laughs> really, uh, and virtual reality and augmented reality remakes of classic games. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about a whole bunch of stuff whole bunch of stuff. Now, all questions from you. I don't get to pick the topics today. This is all, all your guys' day. In fact, I think we're going to start doing this going forward for at least a little while and see how it fits. Um, because of my health and a variety of other things, until recently, we haven't been able to do regular podcasts, like an actual Honest to goodness, crazy pants podcast schedule. Like this day of the week is this sort of show and whatnot. We're going to do this real loosey goosey. Here's how we're going to do it. Three days a week. Uh, we did a poll over on locals and, and this seemed to be the way that everyone wanted to go. And I agree with it. Three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, no show on Friday because I don't know. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, three shows per week. Monday show and Thursday show, uh, those are topics or guests or whatnot to be defined by me. I just come up with whatever. But on the Wednesday show, I want to ask all of you what we should be talking about. So this is this is the first in the official line of that. Let's give it a shot. And if you want to ask questions, you got to be a member of the community, which means you got to be a subscriber of the Lunduke Journal. Uh, you can do that in a whole bunch of ways. You can do it at lunduke.locals.com, lunduke.substack.com, uh, which seems to be where most people do it nowadays, but it's kind of spread all over the place, or patreon.com slash Brian Lunduke. Um, but uh, I'll put links uh, wherever this podcast is found. Um, by the way, you should do that. You should do that. <laughs> because uh, we just dropped the price again. Because So here's, the, here's what we did. We came up with this idea called the founding member subscribers for the podcast, right? Or not the podcast, the whole Lunduke Journal, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And it's like one of those, it's the more expensive tier, right? With the fancy pantsy meet and greet type things and the hangouts and the people getting their, their names listed in credits of things and really fancy stuff. Those ones are more expensive. And the more of those that come in, the lower we can afford to lower the price of the regular subscription, which this regular subscription comes with all the exclusive articles and podcasts, the books, uh, the video games, uh, which just announced another one of those as well. Uh, Lunduke's Quest. You guys, if you haven't seen the details on this, go check it out. I'm very, very excited about this. It is a traditional point and click adventure game uh, that is done in my pixel art style. So if you've seen my comics, uh, it's that same exact art style. In fact, in many scenes, it's the same <laughs> exact art assets. Um, I mean, there's some different ones, but uh, but many of them are, are are straight out of the comics, which is tons of fun. Anyway, uh, it's an it's an adventure game that is playable inside of Scum VM, so the Scum Virtual Machine. So you can play it 
uh, like on any platform that has ScumVM, which is totally wicked cool. Anyway, but that's only going to be available for subscribers. Again, uh, uh, go get that, and it only costs a dollar a month right now because of all those founding members. We were able to drive the price way, way down. Um, it's a dollar a month if you sign up for annually, so it's $12 a year. <laughs> just so crazy cheap considering all the goodies so go go check that out and then you can ask all the questions uh otherwise you just have to listen to the questions that other people ask and that's not nearly as exciting uh, <laughs> i think i just told a lot of you to turn the show off. don't turn the show off it's gonna be awesome we're gonna talk about cool things um all right so let's uh let's dive into this first question right off the bat uh, I'm not really into augmented reality and virtual reality and have not even seen that many demos of it. But if an investor group said, hey, hey, here's a truckload of money, but you have to spend it on an augmented reality or virtual reality remake of a classic game, what would you choose and why? This came from Seoul over, over on the Lundu community on Locals. Uh this is awesome. All right, so this is kind of fun because it dovetails in um, with the <laughs> with the whole uh, Ken and Roberta Williams thing, where they're coming out with a new virtual reality game. This is crazy. So the 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 Sierra Online couple, right? The couple behind the Sierra Online games and Roberta Williams, who created King's Quest and all that sort of stuff, have come out of retirement to make a virtual reality remake of uh, of uh, uh, the Cave Adventure uh, game. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that first adventure game. And so uh, they're making a remake, a virtual reality remake of a text adventure game. An early one at that. That just seems wild to me. I mean, I kind of get it. It's another way to explore a world that you've only really seen in pictures, right? It'd be like it'd be like having a virtual reality version of, I don't know, Zork or any any sort of mud or something like that. I mean, that would be kind of cool to see that world from that point of view. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Okay. So if I were to do it, if you came up and let's say, uh, let's, let's focus on, uh, no, what, what, what would be a cool one? Let's think of what a cool one for augmented reality and a cool one for virtual reality. So if I were to do a uh, augmented reality one, you know what? I think I would do Missile Command, right? But it's augmented reality, so you're down on the ground, and you see these, you know, aliens coming in, and missiles being launched and everything like that, and, and uh, spaceships flying by, and they're all attacking you, and you use your little, your little phone, and you're the base, and you, you know, you fire your laser up at the sky at all of them, and, you know, on your screen, it overlays all the stuff, and you see the, you know, use the camera behind it. Augmented reality. You know what that is. Uh, that's, I think that would be cool. Uh, you know, they might even have that already. <laughs> but I think that would be cool. <laughs> um, and then uh, for a virtual reality game, oh, man. You know, you know what? I don't want a virtual reality game. I want a virtual reality operating system that makes no sense. Like, what, what I really want is to take, like, a Unix system, right? And you know how they've got like a couple, like Project Glass and and the the couple things out of like out of Solaris and whatnot, where they've where they've tried to present that three D Unixy you know interface, the, like the one like the one they showed in Jurassic Park, right? Ah, this is Unix. I know this. 
um, right? That sort of 3D thing. But you're actually inside of it with your goggles on, moving around and interacting with your, your file system that way and, like, running your commands by, you know, being inside a virtual reality thing be pointless but that, that's the way i'd go i i, I don't know i i'm, I'm i think i'm kind of like you soul i don't really get into the augmented or virtual reality stuff i just never have maybe i'm too old uh maybe you know my brain formed <laughs> during a period of time that prohibits uh people from enjoying those sorts of things but i i, I tell you as i've gotten older even old school 3d can start to make me feel kind of sick to my stomach it's it's the weirdest thing you know i used to play 3d games all the time first person shooters and whatnot was totally fine and uh, i used to go on fast amusement park rides like they kind of just whip you in circles over and over again totally fine had no problem with any of that whatsoever and then something happened uh, I, I i was right i guess right around the time i turned 40 i just i just started getting sick to my stomach just almost thinking about those little whipkin circle rides or uh or playing shoot playing uh quake too much oh man that'll make me sick to my tummy i can handle wolfenstein 3d because it's just so un 3d like <coughs> excuse me uh, i really amused myself there it's just so very un 3d you know what i mean it's it's you know the 2d sprites and all that sort of thing i can i can handle that just fine and I'm going to put out a wildly, probably unpopular thought here. I like Wolfenstein 3D, but generally don't enjoy Doom. I just, like, Doom is, to me, it's just, it's it's too dark. Uh, some of the textures are too cluttered. Um, I, it's just not my style. Whereas Wolfenstein 3D tends to be, you know, everything's very bright. <laughs> very visible, you know, and and the the textures are simple enough that uh, I don't know you don't you don't get that cluttered look so much. I I just I prefer Wolfenstein 3D over Doom, and and I've thought <clears throat> I need a drink. I'm I'm drinking Arizona tea today, Arizona green tea with ginseng and honey, and 27 other ingredients that I cannot pronounce. Mm. Mm. Those are delicious ingredients, by the way. Um, delicious ingredients that do not go up in price. <laughs> um, so anyway, I thought, I thought how cool it would be to do like a, a mod, uh, you know, your own, your own levels and art assets and everything like that for Wolfenstein 3D. <coughs> mm, frog in my throat. Um, I just, I think that would be so much fun. It would be fun to do that. I, I know a lot of people do that with Doom. I know it's a popular one to use for that, but, you know, it's just, I like the Wolf 3D. I, I like it. I like it. I, I mean, I guess I guess if I did a Doom wad using a, one of the Doom engines, there's quite a few of them out there, um, I, I could make the art so it wasn't quite so, I don't know, dark and cluttery. Uh, but still, I, I just like the look and feel of the Wolfenstein so much more. Uh, anyway, good question. Uh, here we got one from Ross. For successfully defending the Earth from alien... I love where this is going. The Earth from alien invasion. The Smithsonian Air and Space Museum has given you a coupon for one, one exhibit of your choice to be moved into your house for you to look at and play with whenever you want. Oh my. Uh, so here's, here's a straight up deal. I... I, I I've never been to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, but I want 
I want the first that I want I want the first landing capsule from the Mercury missions. Like I I would just love to put myself inside of it and see how that feels. <laughs> now I know I know I know that there's bound to be other cockpits that I could get from the Air and Space Museum that would be far more fun with more switches and dials and buttons and levers to play with. But I would love to try to just sit in those those old capsules, you know, uh, the ones from the Apollo missions, all, any of those capsules, really. I just I, there's something about them. There's something about those those little capsules that parachuted down after a successful mission in outer space that I just think is just wicked, wicked rad. I, I, it would be that. It would be that. All right. Uh, then uh, XIBB Zib Zibbub asks, uh, Wayland or X11? <laughs> if the answer is X11, what keeps you on X? If Wayland, what moved you to Wayland? Uh, okay. So great question. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I am about as agnostic on this as it is possible to get. Um, I love the general layout of X. It is clunky. <laughs> and yeah, I love it. It's clunky. It's crusty. Uh, there are issues. However, however, it does some really cool things like being able to run uh, X applications on one machine and then go use it from another machine. That is it. it in a fairly lightweight, resource, non-intensive way. I mean, that's super cool. I mean, the fact that you could take, and and, and a different X servers too, the fact that you could take, um, say, uh, DeskView X for DOS, which has its own little, you know, X, org, X server implementation, and connect it to a Linux machine running X, X11, and you could have the Linux machine apps running and use them from DOS on the X server. That's cool. That's cool. Do that with Wayland. Can't. That that just doesn't exist. That 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 multitude of options. That all that capability there. Just it isn't there. Um, so if I was gonna pick a reason for X, it would be that. Um, also, X has done just just fine. I mean, if the people behind Wayland, which includes many of the people who worked on X for a number of years, the the current X org implementation that most people use. I mean, not everyone uses that one, but, you know, the, the current the current big one. There's been so many X servers over the years, X386, all of it, uh, but the current X org. Um, but a lot of those developers are who came up with Wayland, right? Not entirely, but but a lot of them. And if they feel like they want to create Wayland, I don't have any issue with that. Uh, e even though, yeah, I kind of like the fact that X has been around since the 80s and rocking it. Uh, and uh, we have so many so many implementations of it for such a wide variety of systems that's really beneficial and it's also made it easy to port a large number of software packages between so many platforms because it's been the the same um right you know you start changing things and you get good and bad with that and and with wayland i see i think i think we're seeing both the good and the bad at the end of the day i don't care at the end of the day, I truly don't care. But what keeps me on using X is that it tends to be less buggy. That's it. That's it. And that's all. Mo most of my experience 
And so many of you right now are standing up and going, I'm my Wayland, my Wayland setup is perfect. My Fedora plus Wayland plus Gnome installation has never crashed since 1773 when my forefather, you know, I, I know, I know, Wayland's great. I literally, before you get mad at me, remember I just said, I, I like them both, they're fine. Like I, I, <laughs> I really don't have any strong opinions. Uh, but, uh, but X11 does seem to be a little less buggy in most of the things I've tried. Uh, it's presented me with less, less issues, less headaches over time. I need more Arizona tea. 99 cents for that big giant can of Arizona tea. Take that. Take that inflation. Mm. So many, so many ingredients. This is hundred percent natural. I still can't say a few of the ingredients. Um, Actually, you know, they're not too bad. I was making fun of it just now, but I mean, like, there's some... Oh, it's got lots of high-fructose corn syrup in it. That's not fantastic, but whatever. It's still sweet. But hey, it's got ginseng root. Not bad, not bad. Arizona Beverages USA, Woodbury, New York. So it's Arizona tea, but made in New York? Weird. All right, uh, back over here to that. Um, so <laughs> um, if I do tend to use X11... Um, I have no issue if everything I use suddenly is working on Wayland at all times and no issues and I just happen to end up using Wayland I'll use Wayland uh, if whatever 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 is working whatever is working at that moment that's what I'm gonna use um, another question from XIBB because I liked it um, how did you choose your BBS software and do you have any guidance for us BBS newbies um, so this BBS software I use is called Virtual Advanced BBS. Uh, it is a um, a port, or not a port, it's a C++ re-implementation of a previous BBS package called VBBS, or Virtual BBS, by a guy named Roland DeGraff. Uh, developed it back in the, uh, the early 90s and through the mid-90s. And uh, VBBS was... Not a direct clone, but it was heavily inspired by a BBS package called World War Four, and um, oh, I should say the original VBBS was written in Quick Basic 4.5, and then the the Virtual Advanced was a port over to C, and of course, and all of that was based at least design wise on World War Four BBS WWIV, um, and. Uh, I chose the the BBS package I currently use because it's what I had when I launched my first BBS, which was a VBBS based BBS. I've said the BBS word so many times in this episode, but it's fantastic to say BBS. Um, so my first BBS <laughs> was VBBS because it's what I had access to. Um, I I, uh, I downloaded it from some other bulletin board. And uh, played around with it and just kind of liked it. And it was simple enough. And it, it had it had a cost to it. It was like, I want to say it was like 59 bucks or something like that to get a, a license for like four, four nodes. And BBS nodes are um, basically the number of people that can call in. Each individual phone line will ha have its own node. Each node is an individual modem. So, uh, you know, and in the old days... You had to have a multitasking system or you had to have a systems that were all chained together somehow um, running on different uh, different pieces of hardware. And uh, I ran mine under OS2, um, originally under DOS and then under OS2. And what's cool about OS2 is it runs DOS software, 
multitasked wonderfully. And so I was able to run a DOS-based BBS package with an OS2 uh, compatible Fossil driver. You know, the Fossil driver allowed me to do some cool stuff where I, you know, handed off control between the, the, the modem and an internet connection. Um, which I also use a lot nowadays in order to accomplish the same basic functionality of telnetting in to a BBS. You telnet in and then there's a telnet server that grabs those incoming telnet connections and kind of hands it off and works with the fossil driver uh, to hand over control of that connection over to a BBS and make the BBS, which thinks it's connected via a standard dial-up telephone line modem, uh, make it actually communicate via out via telnet. And so I mostly use that, the setup I use now out of pure nostalgia, and, I, and it's nostalgia because it's what I had to use at the time. Uh, there are other really cool BBS packages, including ones that are currently maintained, including Mystic BBS, which is incredible. Uh, it's incredibly high quality. It is not open source, but it is really, really good. And I think it's just free to use, but it's incredible. Um, uh, it has uh, has the ability to do built-in scripting uh, via multiple languages, so you can you can have big telnet accessible bulletin boards with uh, you know built-in programming languages that that make it easy to build your own like BBS games and whatnot. Very very cool. Um, and Synchronet Synchronet is also um, is is totally open source um, and available for Linux and and Windows and, <clears throat> and I think for Mac as well. I don't know for sure. Anyway, uh, both are incredible packages, and if you're getting newly into running a BBS, I would recommend one of those two. Probably Mystic is the easiest. I have a, there's a tutorial on how to install and compile and set up Synchronet on a Linux server that I've got somewhere. I think it's up on the Lunduke Journal. I think if you go to lunduke.substack.com and look there, I think you'll find it. If not, uh, um, I'm sure it's somewhere. <laughs> I can always dig it up if anyone needs it. Um, so yeah, but if you're dialing in, in, into BBSs, you know what? I've got a big article on it over at the Lunduk Journal. Just kind of go and, and click on those links. I, I think personally that BBSing is still fantastic nowadays. In fact, I think it would be incredibly cool if I could at some point find a way to do everything I do inside of a BBS accessible infrastructure. Like, how cool would it be to go to a website? Like, let's say uh, you go to the Lunduke Journal's website, you know, whatever it is. Right now, lunduke.substack.com. And you get the interface of all the articles, and there's, you know, um, you know chat groups and, and all sorts of things there. And then you could also telnet into the same URL and get an ANSI version of that. Uh, with all the same articles and files you can download, like podcast episodes and places where you can chat with people. It's all the same. And what if, what if you even went further and built like little clients that you could run on new and old computers alike? So you could have the same interface to all of it. Um, and, you know, I just think it would be cool. Uh, I, I think that would be just incredibly cool. That's ambitious, and I don't know if I'll ever do it, but man, would that be cool. That would be cool for me, you know? And it would be cool for people to be able to have, like, a, like how, how do you use the Lunduke Journal? Well, I, I telnet into it and do it all that way. Or, oh, I use the, I use the native client under uh, Haiku or Amiga OS. Or, oh, oh, I just use the web interface, right? And it's all the same. I, I just think that would be rad. I, I think that would be super rad and, and kind of a fun way to be able to support 
not just older computers, but to support the alternative operating systems as soon as they can get, you know, either a web browser or a Telnet client or a port of our, you know, GUI client or whatever, you know, they'd have access to it. I think that would be cool. Um, Dirt asks, if you could make a machine that would run any software in the world, what would it have for specs and what would it look like? Oh, I can tell you straight off the bat, my, my dream machine, my dream machine is a handheld. <clears throat> it's a palm top with a nice keyboard on it. Think uh, a little bigger than an HP 200LX, uh, maybe closer to like an HP Jornada in terms of like size or maybe one of the Scions, you know, so it's, it's typable, but you obviously very small keyboard. Uh, and then the screen would flip up, clamshell style. The guts of it is a 486 DX266 CPU with uh, 32 gigab uh, sorry, 32 megabytes of RAM um, and two two gigabyte uh, flash drives inside of it uh, for storage and uh, the uh, Sound Blaster 16 compatible chipset. So you can use Sound Blaster sounds um, and uh, full Visa and Super VGA, maybe, you know, something similar to some of the old Oaks cards in there. So basically it is a Sound Blaster Super VGA palm top. Um, with, uh, and I put a, like a PS2 port or two in it and something like that. Um, that, that's my ultimate machine right there. Especially if I can plug, if I can sit down and plug that into a monitor and a keyboard and have this amazing little machine, uh, for, you know, doing whatever, because realistically that's like the sweet spot for me for gaming and, and just general like PC stuff, everything in the PC world for me like really peaked right around 486 DX266 time. That's a, that's a, it's like a holy time for me. Um, you know, things ran really well, things were fast and that was right before stuff got crazy bloated and awful. <laughs> I just like that period of time. So that's what, that's what it would be, uh, without a doubt. I know there's lots of other cool things that could be built, but that's what it would be. And it would just be running DOS. Uh, some sort of DOS, DR DOS, PC DOS, MS DOS, Free DOS, DOS. That's that's the end of the story there. Um, what do we got here? Uh, oh, here we go. <clears throat> uh, MG Addict asks, let's assume the space and power requirements weren't an issue and and my wife was cool with it. Uh if I need it, I also have the ability. Where are you going with this question? I'm loving it so far. Okay, so if my wife's cool with it and I have unlimited space and electricity and I have the ability to time travel if I need to, also if I am a trillionaire, what computer do I own? <laughs> uh, so so basically if I could get any computer from any point in, in time and space, uh, and there's no real limitations on me. Uh, I can have any computer that I want. Uh, it would be a one of those Packard Bell put them in the corner machines. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Gateway 2000 with the case all decked out and the the white with the little black spots to make it look like a cow. Well, that's what I would. No, no, I'm teasing again. It's an e-machines. Gosh, silly question. Um, no, what would I have? Oh gosh. Um, like, I mean, this has got to be like a collectible machine. You know what I mean? Like, like, what would it be? I don't. 
See, here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Most of the computers that I tend to get excited about, I mean, like I've I get excited about those the the big old you know fill up a room type machines. Those are exciting. Those are awesome. Those are historically so important, and I love. Like I, I, of course, I want the ability to sit down and touch them and play with them and use them, but to have as mine, and I could just have this one machine that was this one special, special machine. What, what do I get? And the answer is, I'm not, I'm not sure because I think you ask me that sort of question, and my brain immediately starts fritzing out because I can't pick just one, and I start to get more excited, honestly. As the machines get a little more micro in size, like you start getting to uh, the you know the desk sized computers and the personal computers, the desktops, then I get excited. Uh, th- that's when I start to really get into computing. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, you know what? Having a giant mainframe like an IBM Watson type scenario. Um, or some of those sun servers over in China or something. Um, yeah, I mean, that's exciting. But I don't know what I'm going to do with all that horsepower. I mean, what am I going to do, like mine bitcoins? I mean, I, yeah, there I go. But see, if, if I've got that much money already, I don't need to do anything to earn money, right? Because if I had a trillion dollars and the ability to travel through time and space, I, like I, I, I'm not going to use this computer for work. So then it's for fun. And if I'm using the computer for fun, well, shoot, I don't know. I'm getting a Commodore 64. Maybe I'm getting an Amiga 1200. Uh, maybe I'm getting, um, I don't know, the, uh, ooh, ooh, like an Atari TT Falcon. Or, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, or I'm getting a 486 DX266. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I, Maybe something like that. You know what? A Toshiba Libretto. <laughs> those little tiny laptops that have a nice sound blaster chip and VGA graphics. I want one of those. If I could travel through all the time and space, I'm going to get a really good condition one, though. I'm going to travel back in time. I'm going to get one in box. No, I'm going to get two of them, one that I never open, just so I can say it's mint in box. Um, all right. Um, uh, debate club, argue for system D. This is coming from Scott. All right, so argue for system No, I'm not going to do that. Um, sorry, I'm just not, I'm not going to argue for system D. It doesn't, it, it's, it's the most un-Unixy thing, like on a Linux system nowadays. Like, it's just not Unixy. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, do half of the distros I use, use system D and they're fine. It's fine. It works. It's fine. But again, if the best thing that someone can say about a thing like that is it's fine. Well, <laughs> that's not that great, is it? Um, oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, What operating system have you never used on real hardware that you would like to experience? Oh. Oh, 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 oh. I, yes. Yeah, I got got several ideas, actually. Several, several ideas. Um, So there's a large number of systems that I haven't been able to experience at all um, that I have been just hunting uh, hunting, uh, high and low to try and find a way to do it. <coughs> Excuse me. The first, the first is, uh, Wendon DOS. And I've been, I've been in contact with one of the, the guys who developed Wendon DOS. And if you don't know what it is, it's, I've got a whole article series coming on this. No joke. So I, I okay. <laughs> now I'm getting excited. So Wendon DOS, uh, came out, uh, how do, how do I explain all of this? So 
Wendon DOS is a multitasking DOS compatible operating system um, that came out of Spokane, Washington in the 1980s. Um, it generated a little bit of buzz. Uh, you can find some things about it here and there and then did not go anywhere. Right. Uh, the developer behind Wind and DOS went on to work at Microsoft and did some extremely cool things. Um, but that first that, that, that Wend and DOS release, haven't been able to find it. Uh, no one can find it. I, I've been looking. I've been hunting high and low for this thing because I want to experience it. Um, also, I would love to experience something with the W Windows server. I did an article about this recently um, about about W. And because uh, W came before X, that's why X was named X because it came after came after W, WX, right? And W was a window server, a window a, a window manager for the V operating system. Okay, great. Um, I want to use that. I can't find it anywhere. I found V. I can find V. Plenty of V. Lots of documentation around V, but not with that the W uh, window server can't find it historically critically important but seemingly just wiped off the face of the earth by a very angry genie it's gone and I, I would love to be able to try that out um, there's also a lot of early systems I would like to go back personally I would like to go back and use um, uh, the online system that Doug, Douglas Inglebright used for the mother of all demos uh, Plano uh, there's a whole bunch of those early systems that either don't exist in a usable state anymore or don't exist at all anymore. And I would love to use one of them, you know, record it, document it, feel what it felt like to use the systems that came before, not just the Macintosh and Windows and all that, but before, before Xerox Park had an idea for a user interface, right? Like before the, uh, before the Alto, before all of it all of it that would be cool i would just i would flip out doing that that would be so cool um all right if i could this this one comes from george if i could revive a brand technology or not what would you like to see assuming they modernized and kept the spirit of said brand okay i got a couple <laughs> i i would like to see Oh, man. Okay. See, the first thing that pops to my head is not a brand. Well, maybe it's a brand. It's a whole product line of a company that still exists. Jell-O Pudding Pops. I miss Jell-O Pudding Pops. Uh, yeah, Bill Cosby used to talk about Jell-O Pudding Pops. Oh, that was the worst Bill Cosby impression ever, by the way. Uh, but they were delicious. They were frozen pudding popsicles. And oh, my word. I could eat those all day. Oh, uh, Jell-O Pudding Pops. I'd bring that right back. Uh, I know that's not exactly what you're going for, but I want a Jell-O Pudding Pop now real bad. Uh, but let's 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 look over on the tech side of things. Let's go back over to uh, uh, the the technology side of things. I would bring back a couple things, but first I would bring back Sierra Online because Sierra made great games. I would bring back the heyday Sierra. You know, back when they were producing great adventure games. I would bring that back, um, and just like it was, and not revamp things with new graphics. Uh, not do things in new art styles. I would do things like their their. I I would stick to like 
their EGA and VGA 256 color at the most pixel art masterpieces. You know what I mean? Space Quest 4. Oh, brilliant. I would bring that back with, with all the people, all the people involved, and just make more of that. Just do that same thing over and over again. More games, all in that same basic art style, same basic sound style, same same dedication to making amazing adventure games. I would bring that back. I, oh, boy, would I bring that back. Um, what else would I bring back? Um, yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more I just want companies to bring back the games the way they used to be made. I miss them so much. <laughs> um, the other one, though, is digital research. Uh, without a doubt, I would bring back digital research in a heartbeat. Gary Kildall's DRI was, oh man, I would love to have seen where they would have gone. I, if I could, if I could travel back in time with a stack of cash, and travel back to you know the the late '80s, let's say, and maybe you know make it after after Microsoft got the deal to supply Microsoft DOS to the or PC DOS, however you want to call it, to uh, to IBM and all that. Uh, and Gary Kildall lost out on that with DRI and uh, DR DOS and and CPM and all that. After all that happened, right? So so let's say DRI are already taking some licks. But it had Gem and it had DR DOS and concurrent DOS and all that sort of thing. I would travel back and just drop a forklift full of cash right at the doorstep of Gary Kildall and say, Gary, go nuts. I would have loved to see what digital research created with that. I would love to have seen what they did with Gem. Because if you look at Gem, the Gem, the Gem window manager and operating system, what what happened with that once it got over on the Ataris and uh, and Multitos, where you had a version of Gem with multitasking and really nice colors and graphics, and it was just maturing. It was becoming this this significantly interesting system because with when multi before Multitos, you know, Gem was not the prettiest kid on the block. You know, we got to be honest. And it didn't have the best features, but it had some good ones. And I think I think with Multitoss, you start to have something real interesting. And what as a little glimpse into what could have been. And so I would love to have seen what would have happened if 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, Digital Research and Gary Kildall are still rocking it and still making cool stuff. I would have loved to have seen what that would have done to the entire computing industry. I think I think things could have been very different than they are today if that were the case. I think there would have been a lot of similarities, but I think I think things would be fascinating. Uh, I that's That's where I would go with that. Um, and then, oh, there was one final question, and uh, I, I want to address this because this is a smart. Um, from Zet. Zet asks, uh, how to install Windows 3.1 with networking and Netscape and all that stuff? Is there an article somewhere? <laughs> so there are some articles out there by other people that have talked about getting an emulated Windows 3.1 setup going, whether it's in DOSBox or Virtual PC or QEMU or something like that, with networking and Sound Blaster Sound and good video drivers and all that. And they're all a little bit lacking. So um, I'm trying to put together one right now um, with a download. 
uh, kind of a, to accompany it of, uh, of some of the drivers that I can freely distribute, right? Um, and uh, with basically to help people get up and going um, under, uh, I'm thinking virtual PC, I'll probably do, do one under that uh, and make it easy for people with all the, all the tools, all the pointers, everything to get a uh, Windows 3.1 install going that gets you connected to the internet, web browsing with Netscape, full sound blaster sound, great, beautiful, you know, you know, super VGA graphics. Um, but, but also on top of that, on how to set up um, a copy of browse service um, behind the scenes. So on your host system, you have a copy of browse service running um, that you can use that from your Windows 3.1 installation in Netscape to actually browse the majority of the real internet, including including most of the functionality of, of of all the various Lunduk journal sites. And so uh, I've been working on that for a while, but I keep getting distracted. <laughs> Part of the problem is, is, is in order to do it, I w there's not a much point in me putting out yet another like semi mostly finished tutorial on how to do this. I want this to be kind of the definitive guide. Like whenever I want to set up uh, a new Windows 3.1 emulated instance. Um, I go there to grab the drivers and grab the utilities and grab all the little little tricks that, that need to be done. Um, and it's just all there documented um, at the, the ultimate way. Because, I mean, Windows 3.1 is not changing, right? So let's, let's get it exactly right, just ultimate way to get it set up. And so uh, I'm working on that right now. And uh, I'll probably have that up sometime soon. Um, I, it, you know, if I if I get enough people yelling for it, I, I can have it done the next day. But I just keep getting distracted by stuff. So, um, but I think it's an important thing because, and it's not just for Windows three point one. I would like to spend time doing this on some other systems as well. You know, how to set up. Um, and really go nuts with, say, an Apple II GS emulator with uh, using GSOS because there's a lot of cool things there, um, as well as how to set up and run a really good high-quality Mac emulator with moving files around and how to do all of that, um, both on your desktop computer and on an Android device, right? Like how to do all these things. Um, we're going to be talking about some of that at Lunduke Fest. Uh, coming up on, is it May 14th? So we've got a little over two weeks away. Um, if you don't yet have a subscription to the Lunduk Journal, you need to get one because then you can join us at Lunduk Fest and we'll talk about all that stuff at, at Lunduk Fest. There's a, whole, there's a whole session dedicated to exactly how to turn your, your Android device into like this ultimate little retro computing battle station. It's... <laughs> It's actually a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun to do that sort of thing. Um, uh, as as much as I often like to make fun of of Android phones and whatnot, the the sheer number of things you can do with them is just amazing. And especially in terms of emulation, it's not perfect, but what you can do is awesome. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so come hang out with us. Uh, get the subscription to Lunduk Journal. Do that right now because it's it's cheap right now. Um, and because of all of those founding members chiming in and uh, pitching in, we've managed to make it a uh, dollar a month for the annual subscriptions. A dollar a month. I would have loved it if it was 99 cents a month. <laughs> Cause just cause right. Or 95 cents, you know? Uh, but it actually, what it actually worked out to be after I kind of crunched the numbers is it should have been a dollar and a penny. So 1.01, uh, but I just rounded down cause it sounded better as a buck. <laughs> um, but if you want to, so do that 
definitely do that. Go go, just get that right now. Um, and if you want to pitch in and help drive that cost lower, grab a, a founding member subscription. I'll put the links around in places as well. Um, and that helps to drive everything lower. And then you can take part in the monthly hangouts, the first of which is on Friday, I believe, um, and uh, and all that sort of good stuff. Anyway, uh, thank you to all the subscribers. Uh, you're all amazing. Uh, thank you for spreading the word about uh, the all the articles and and whatnot at the Lunduke Journal. Um, I've been truly amazed at the places I've found these articles lately. Uh, they're all over the place, and I'm loving it. Thank you all for helping me do that. I'm not the, always the best at. Uh, submitting those links everywhere I should. I, I always inevitably have an article and someone will come up to me or, you know, digitally come up to me and be like, hey, hey, Lunduk, uh, don't forget to uh, submit it to this social site or this aggregator site or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should do that more often. <laughs> it's like I write it and put it out for the world. And I'm like, look at what I did. Cool. Then I move on to the next thing. Um, I got to remember to like spread it around. But you guys, you guys have done a great job of helping me with that. And by the way, Every time, I'm just going to put this out there, but pretty much every article that I've published that's gotten posted over to Hacker News, Y Combinator, has gotten to the top of Hacker News. Pretty much every single one, with like one or two exceptions. Um, I don't post any of them myself, but I just want to put that out there. Uh, if you're looking for easy, whatever it is on Hacker News, karma points, something points, um, just feel free. Go ahead and post them. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be posting them myself. So uh, you go ahead and, and go, <laughs> go nuts. Uh, if you want those points, just get it before the, uh, the other people get it. Uh, anyway, thank you again to everyone for all the support in all the many ways that you've shown support. Uh, I could not do this with, without all of you. And I uh, hope you got to do something nerdy today. I sure did. It's been a good nerdy day for me over here. And uh, hey, I'll see you guys on Friday. No, tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's right. Because we're doing Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> good night, y'all.